listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our scripture reading for today is Daniel 12. At that time, Michael the Great Prince, the protector of your people, shall arise. There shall be a time of anguish such as, has, such as has never occurred since nations first came into existence. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, keep the word secret and the book sealed until the time of the end. Many shall be running back and forth, and evil shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and two others appeared, one standing on the the, this bank of the stream and one on the other. One of them, one of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was upstream, How long shall it, it be until the end of these wonders? The man clothed in linen, who was upstream, raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and I heard him swear by the one who lives forever, that it would be a four time, two times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be accomplished. I heard, but could not understand. So I said, My Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are to remain secret and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall be purified, cleansed, and refined, but the wicked shall continue to act wickedly. None of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. From the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away from and the abomination that desolates is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Happier those who preserve severe and attain the 1,335 days, but you go your way and rest. You shall rise for your reward at the end of the days. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. That was, that reading that was hard to read. No, you did good. You did well, man. That was awesome. <clears throat> so just to remind everybody, uh, before we dive in uh, to this last part of the book of Daniel. Um, our sermon next week is going to be a little bit different because we're going to be doing a live Q&A in the service based on your questions about the book of Daniel. Um, we've got about a half dozen questions so far, which is awesome, but it is not too late to get questions in. So you, if you have a question about anything we've covered in this series, anything from any of the scripture readings, uh, maybe that I left out, uh, put it on this card, one of these cards from your bulletins, and drop it in one of the joy boxes out in the hallway, and that will be the basis for our time next week, which should be a lot of fun. <clears throat> Today we're wrapping up the book of Daniel, and I just got to say, it always feels um, really good when we finish a series. I know it does for me, hopefully for you too, um, but it's like, you know, Daniel, done. You know, Romans, done. It's, it's a really small victory, but uh, and maybe this is the pandemic talking, but I will take it. I'll take whatever victories we can get. Um, We started this series back in January uh, when we were working through the first half of the book of Daniel, 
which is this collection of really incredible stories of deliverance where over and over again, God shows up in these massive, amazing ways for Daniel and his friends. Um, God saves Daniel from the lion's den. We know that story. It's a classic Sunday school story. Um, God saves Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. God brings judgment on corrupt kings and rulers while elevating the faithful and the humble. It's really this amazing collection of stories of deliverance. But then we get to the second half of the book of Daniel, and things kind of change. We start to get this series of dreams and visions about monsters that rule over the earth, these powerful beasts that devour the innocent and destroy the land. Really terrifying stuff. You get to chapter 9 of Daniel and this beautiful prayer of repentance where Daniel confesses the sins of his ancestors. And of course, that's followed right up by this gut punch where an angel visits Daniel to inform him that he's not going home. He's going to die in exile. It's like, I'm sorry, Daniel. I'm sorry, my friend. I'm sorry, beloved child of God. We know you've been faithful. God has seen your faithfulness, but you are never going home. It's a gut punch. And that leads right into this final vision that we've been working on for about three weeks now about this war that's coming in the future, Daniel's time in the future for him, past for us, happened about 300 years after this, a war between Persia and Greece where God's people are going to be stuck in the middle. A war where many of the faithful are going to fall away. And those who hold true to their faith, those who hold fast to God, are going to suffer and many will die. Where's the hope in that? (laughs) Right? It's kind of a downer. Where's the God of the first half of Daniel? You know, this God who comes through in big ways, who intervenes in history, who closes the mouths of lions and saves people from literal fire and flames. I thought God could do anything. I thought God was bringing deliverance. And yet now we see that the world is still full of monsters and innocent people continue to suffer. And all of a sudden, we're not just talking about the book of Daniel anymore, are we? No. The world is still full of monsters. There are still powerful forces at work in the world that we don't understand, forces beyond our control. Look at what's happening right now in Israel, Myanmar, all these places. Look at the violence and injustice in our own country. People who die, who are innocent, and who never receive justice. Where's the God of Daniel for them? Or maybe you've had this experience before. Maybe you can relate. Where like God comes through in a really powerful way, maybe for you or for a friend, God answers prayer. But then you see someone else who's suffering or being treated unfairly, and it's like, what about them? Where is God for them? Why doesn't God come through and deliver them from the flames? That's what this last chapter of Daniel is all about. Daniel's had these amazing experiences. He's seen incredible, miraculous, unbelievable things, but he's still stuck in exile. The beast is still on the throne, 
And Daniel sees these visions of the future of other faithful people, people like him who are dying without justice. That brings us to Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. We're going to reread the first part of this passage. This is the angel Gabriel, by the way, who is speaking to Daniel in a vision. At that time, Michael, the great prince, the protector of your people, shall arise. There shall be a time of anguish such as has never occurred since nations first came into existence. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And I love this next part, verse 4. But you, Daniel, keep these words secret and the book sealed until the time of the end. Oops. <laughs> right? Like, the secret got out, clearly, because we're, we're reading it. But anyway. The protector of your people shall arise. There's going to be a time of anguish. There's going to be a time of great suffering. Suffering like the world has never seen. But then, the faithful ones will be delivered. And all those innocent people of past generations who were denied justice... God is going to show up and set things right. That's the final vision of Daniel. Those who sleep in the dust will arise. Those who are wise will shine like the sky. And those who lead others to righteousness like the stars. This is a vision of resurrection. A vision of God intervening in history in a dramatic way to give new life to the entire world universe. A day when God is going to show up to set things right once and for all, wipe away every tear, and bring true deliverance and justice to all who were denied it in their lifetimes. That's the hope of resurrection. As Christians, we like to say that we're a resurrection people, right? That's something we throw around a lot. My hope is maybe 20 minutes from now we'll have a better sense of what that means. We'll see. But we are a resurrection people. We're a people of resurrection. And this is the season of resurrection. This is the Easter season when we celebrate the hope of new life that we have in Christ. But our talk of resurrection doesn't often go much beyond that, does it? When most people, when most Christians talk about resurrection, we're usually talking about this thing that happened to Jesus 2,000 years ago. This single event, this single moment of history, when a man was killed on a Roman cross, and three days later God brought him back from the dead. That's what we usually mean by resurrection. But the resurrection is even bigger than that. For people in Jesus' day, for first century Jews, and especially for early Christians, the big picture, ultimate hope behind their faith was resurrection. This idea that God is going to come and make all things new. For Christians today, though, for for us, that resurrection hope has largely been replaced by a heavenly hope, right? Like the hope of going to heaven when we die. That's what gives us hope. 
That's what we talk about. That's what we talk about in times of crisis. That's the hope we have in times of mourning when we've lost someone we love. It's what we talk about at funerals. We even sing songs about it, right? I'll fly away, oh glory. I'll fly away, right? You guys know the song. It's like every funeral. Heaven, right? That's what we're hoping for. That's where our hope is lie, uh, lies. Things might be bad on earth. We might have pain and suffering in this life. There might be injustice here, but someday we're getting out of here. We're going someplace else. Heaven, that is our hope. And here's the thing. I don't want to take that hope away from anybody. So some of the worried faces I, I see right now, you don't have to worry. I'm not going to take heaven away from you. That is fine. That is a good hope. That is a good hope. When Jesus tells the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, that's a good hope. When Paul, at the end of his life, when he's in prison, writes about his desire to depart and be with Christ, that is good stuff. It's just not the end of the story. There's more. Heaven was never the end goal for Jesus and the early disciples. Heaven is more like a rest stop. It's a spot along the journey. The goal, though, is resurrection. As one uh, Bible scholar I really respect puts it, there's life after life after death. That's a quote you might have to read to yourself a couple times to have it make sense. But there's life after life after death. That's resurrection. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about resurrection hope and how it's different from heavenly hope. Not better, but think bigger, more expansive, more inclusive, more ambitious, and I believe even more hopeful. And before we get into this, I do need to say a little disclaimer. This isn't about like abstract speculation. That's not the goal of today. Um, this isn't about having our head in the clouds, getting our theology right, scratching this like morbid itch, this curiosity of like what exactly happens after we die. The Bible is actually pretty vague around this stuff, and I think that's intentional. But what we need to keep in mind when we talk about this is that there's a context here. The hope of resurrection comes from somewhere. There's a reason that resurrection was so important for the folks who wrote the Bible. This hope, resurrection hope, is rooted in the very real experience of suffering and injustice in this life. Exile. Slavery. The realization that this world is not the way it's supposed to be. That sometimes crimes go unpunished, especially when those crimes are carried out against folks at the margins. And what's God going to do about that? That's where resurrection hope comes from. We got that? Are we tracking? Good. I'll take the silence as an affirmation. Let's get into it. I want to tease out um, just a few big differences between heavenly hope and resurrection hope. And if, if you're a note taker, grab a pencil because there's going to be stuff to write down. Some big differences between heavenly hope and resurrection hope. First one, <clears throat> heavenly hope assumes discontinuity while resurrection hope assumes continuity. Is that text on the screen way too small? No, we can see it. Good. Thank goodness. I'm always worried I put too much on there. 
Heavenly hope assumes discontinuity, while resurrection hope assumes continuity. This comes right from that old hymn, All Fly Away, right? When we talk about heaven, we're often thinking in terms of escape, discontinuity, going somewhere else, leaving the earth behind and going somewhere better. He's in a better place now, right? Like, but this is the language that we use. And I want to reiterate, there is nothing wrong with that hope. That's a good hope. There's hope in knowing that our loved ones are no longer suffering, that they are in the arms of Jesus. And when you're the one who's suffering, by the way, of course you want to escape. But while heavenly hope emphasizes this disconnection, resurrection hope assumes continuity. What good is the progress that we make on this side of eternity? Like if if we succeed at making the world a, a marginally better place, if society takes a small step forward in our lifetimes, if we serve a meal to someone in need or we give a glass of water to someone who's thirsty, are we making any real difference? Is there any lasting ultimate power in that? Like they're going to get hungry again, right? There's going to be other hungry people that we can't reach. If we make the world a just place, a more just place, there's still going to be injustice, right? So why try? What good are these small steps forward that we take in our lifetime? If heaven is all we've got, if we're going somewhere else, is this just polishing the brass on the Titanic, or is there something more? If resurrection is the goal, though, If heaven is a pit stop on the way to a resurrected earth that's filled with divine life, then everything we do here on the earth matters. Every step forward we take in this life counts. Every person we give a gathering table meal to, every life we impact, when we live out the gospel and share the love of God with others, we are planting seeds that will bloom into eternity, and they're going to bloom right here. When we work for justice, we're not just polishing the brass on the Titanic. It's not like the boat is going down. No, that is going to matter. We are planting seeds that are going to bloom into eternity. We're manifesting the resurrection right here and now. Because again, resurrection assumes continuity. There's a connection between this life and life after, life after death. We might leave earth for a time, but we're coming back. We might sleep in the dust for a season, but God is coming to wake us up when God shows up to finish the work that God started in us. That's the hope of resurrection. Resurrection assumes continuity. What we do in this life matters. That's one difference. Second difference, if heaven is ethereal, big word, resurrection is embodied. Ethereal just means like disembodied, not physical, free from, like, physical form, otherworldly. It's the opposite of embodiment. Here's what we mean by this. A lot of times when we think about heaven, 
I think what we imagine is that we're going to be like spirits floating around on clouds, playing harps forever. Sounds more like hell to me, if I'm honest. But I do want to affirm this. I want to affirm this heavenly hope because sometimes our bodies kind of suck, right? Like sometimes having a body is not fun. I'm slowly beginning to enter middle age, maybe not as slowly as I'd like to hope. And I realize I, realize I shouldn't be whining about this because I know there are folks here who are much further along this path than me. I have nothing to complain about. I get that. But this is new to me. Like, I'm just starting to discover how much having a body can be awful. You guys know. You guys know what I'm talking about. I have to get a shot in my wrist every six months just to use it. And I'm only 35 years old. Like, it's not fair. So, of course, of course, of course, there is hope in the heavenly idea of leaving these bodies behind. Of course. But what if I told you that these bodies of ours can be restored? What if I told you that we'll have more to do in the hereafter than just float around on clouds playing harps, that there will be mountains to climb and rivers to swim in, that there will be sights and sounds and tastes? Whenever Jesus talks about heaven, the kingdom of heaven, he always compares it to a party, a feast, a wedding banquet. That is an embodied idea. What if I told you that even bodies that have been mistreated and abused, bodies that bear the marks of injustice, what if I told you that even those bodies can be restored, redeemed, and made new? That is the hope of resurrection. We tracking with this so far? Awesome. One more difference. If heaven is a place that individuals go when they leave earth, resurrection is about heaven and earth coming together. If heaven is a place that individuals go when they leave earth, resurrection is about heaven and earth coming together. So most of us, when we came to faith, I would guess we were taught the pairing of heaven and hell, right? Does that sound familiar? Um, It's like, do you know when you, where you're going to go when you die? You can stay in your sin and go to hell, or you can turn, repent, check the boxes, say the right prayer, and go to heaven, right? Like heaven and hell, that's usually the pairing. It's um, salvation is fire insurance, right? That's, that's how a lot of us heard it. The interesting thing, interesting thing is the pairing we find much more often in Scripture is heaven and earth. Some 200 times in our Bibles we find the pairing of heaven and earth. Very first page of the Bible, first sentence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's up there, so you can cheat if you want to. Or uh, Psalm 124, this is a great line. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And of course, there's that line that we pray together every single week, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Man, you guys get it. This is awesome. We picked a really good week, by the way, to move the choir mics above the, above the congregation so folks at home could actually hear what people say. That's awesome. Now everyone's looking up and freaking out. 
awe. But this pairing of heaven and earth comes up 200 times in the Bible. That's a lot. And one of my favorite instances of this combo is from the final pages of the Bible. Second last page. About 600 years after the time of Daniel, there was a follower of Jesus named John. He wrote his own collection of trippy dreams and visions. Um, He was kind of riffing on Daniel, kind of ripped off a lot from him. But we know it as the book of Revelation. We've heard about this book, right? Final book of the Bible, super confusing. But it's at the very end of that book, in Revelation chapter 21, that John writes this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, the home of God is among mortals. God will dwell with them. They will be God's people, and God himself will be with them. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And then the one who is seated on the throne... Jesus, by the way. The one who was seated on the throne said, Look, I am making all things new. This is one of my favorite passages of the entire Bible. But remember the context of this, right? This isn't like abstract speculation. These visions of resurrection that we find in the Bible are emerging in the midst of very real experiences of suffering and injustice. There's a context here. And we're not there yet. We haven't arrived at this Revelation 21 hope. We can't get there on our own. One of the fallacies of modern life, one of the big lies of our culture, is to think that we can set the world right by ourselves. If we just do the right things, if we say the right prayer, if we develop the right technology, if we elect the right leaders, then things will be as they're supposed to be. That's not how it works. Daniel gives us a reality check in the closing words of his book. Sometimes you do all the right things and the world still goes to pot. Sometimes the bad guys win and the good guys lose. Sometimes injustice goes unanswered. That's just not the end of the story. We can't save the world on our own. But God is not going to save the world without us. God is leaving no one behind. Every act of good that is overlooked, every act of evil that goes unpunished, God is going to deal with all of that and make everything right. That's the hope of resurrection. And as Christians... To be a resurrection people means that we live between the resurrection of Christ and the final restoration of all things. That's what it means to be a, resurrected, a resurrection people. You are here. We've seen the glory of the empty tomb, and we've caught a glimpse of this final glory. 
and in spite of all the lies that the world tells us about how nothing you do is ever going to make a difference, in spite of all the competing narratives that are thrown at us, the other hopes, the false gospels that fall short of this vision, God is putting the world back together in Christ, and we are invited to participate. That's our hope. That's our vision. That's our worldview. And that's our mission. It's the hope of resurrection. And if we're going to be a resurrection people, that's our hope too. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the good news of resurrection. Thank you, Lord, for raising your son to new life as a foretaste of what lies ahead for the entire universe. Help us to hold fast to that hope, Lord. Help us to remember the truth that we are a resurrection people called to embody your resurrection hope in the world. Empower us for that work, God. Empower this church be a foretaste of that new life right here in Brockport. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at Brockport FB, and on our website brockportfirstbaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.